Multiple Myeloma Hub podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the Multiple Myeloma Hub podcast. Today we'll be hearing from both Maximilian Mertz of Heidelberg University Hospital, Germany, and Nazar Ballas from the University of Calgary in Canada. Hi, I'm Maximilian Mertz from the University of Heidelberg in Germany and uh, Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center in Buffalo, New York. And I'm here today with uh, Dr. Ballis to discuss if uh, single-cell sequencing can um, redefine myeloma or redefine myeloma care in the future. Um, and at this uh, ESH, I think we saw lots of uh, great studies that actually showed a deep dive into the single-cell sequencing of, of myeloma disease. And I think it's important to, to differentiate if, if you look at single-cell sequencing and two different things. Um, basically what you want to study. So um, we can look at the myeloma cells and we can look at the um, tumor microenvironment. And I think um, it's very important to, to predefine this when, when you perform your, your experiment. So uh, when you, we look at the myeloma cell, of course, we, we have a long history of, of genomics in myeloma and we have uh, certain layers of complexity. So we started 20 years ago with fish and then the chromosomal aberrations then we knew about sequencing and then we driver mutations in myeloma, then um, epigenetic modifying of, of the um, gene expression. And now with uh, single cell sequencing, we are really capable to, to analyze different clones that are basically present in every myeloma patient. Um, and I think starting with um, single cell RNA sequencing and now with ATEX sequencing and also you know, featured barcoding uh, techniques, we can really decipher novel strategies to, to, to also target minimal residual disease. Uh, so I think there's a lot of leverage we can, we, we can um, have on, from single cell sequencing, uh, but it's really important that we define the experiment that we want to perform. And, and I think one thing that we really have to do in the future is to look um, at uh, risk stratified therapy and then I identify certain modes of resistance. Because when we look at an other hematological disease, I think uh, they're doing a, a great job by stratifying um, patients into certain risk categories, but also stratifying therapy according to risk categories. And we have in myeloma, of course, the revised ISS, we know about cytogenetics, but um, I think where, where everybody in myeloma can do a better job right now is, is to stratify treatment. I think when we look at single cell sequencing, we really can look, when we look at, uh, at target therapy, we really can see why certain therapies work in certain patients. Uh, so at, at this year's ASH, we also saw for the first time, for example, dual MEK and, and, and BRAF inhibition in, in myeloma patients. And I think it's very important because in the future, we will probably recognize that when we use these very specific personalized approaches, uh, we can target certain populations within a single patient, but then patients become resistant and then we have to identify the clones that cause this resistance. And their single cell techniques are really, um, really helpful to identify the modes of resistance. Um, the same is true for Venetoclax, for example, another first targeted approach to myeloma treatment. And um, Dr. Manchi said this a couple of years ago when he visited Heidelberg, he, he talked about uh, dirty drugs and specific drugs. And I think it's very important to combine both, uh, to, to, to identify certain markers and their single cell techniques can help. But if we see with our single cell techniques that certain populations become resistant, uh, then we have to combine these personalized approach with 
the so-called dirty drugs. And I think, um, for example, the immune modulatory drugs like lenalidomide are uh, one of the best examples because uh, the mode of, of action isn't well understood. Everybody uses it, but nobody knows exactly what it's doing. Um, and there again, I think single cell techniques will help to, to also identify modes of action and modes of resistance for these dirty drugs. And I think, uh, especially when we target the immune system, uh, we really have to do a deep dive into the different myeloma, uh, non-myeloma cells. So I think studying the non-plasma cell compartment also with RNA-seq and, and single cell um, ATAC sequencing and also uh, proteomic analysis on a single cell level will be very helpful to identify patients who might profit from, from immune modulatory drugs more than others and especially um, investigating modes of resistance. But I think Dr. Balis is, is a great expert to talk to about the non-plasma cell compartment and single cell techniques. And I'm happy to hear his, his comments on that. Thank you, Max. Indeed, as you mentioned, the uh, field of single cell sequencing uh, and is following on the era of genomics in cancer. And specifically in multiple myeloma, we, we have a deep understanding now of the myeloma genome and epigenome. But now with the single cell therapeutics, we're, over, we're able to not only interrogate the bulk of the myeloma cells, but individual cells. And uh, hence, as you've done with the uh, variable biopsy uh, throughout the patient, you can identify the heterogeneity at the uh, patient overall, but also at the individual single cell level. Uh, so again, with this technique, briefly, we're able through nanochannels to separate the myeloma cells into individual nanochannels and uh, kind of surround them by lipid droplet that allow us to perform these studies we do on the bulk uh, the cells uh, as far as RNA sequencing or DNA sequencing, and now even with epigenome sequencing with ATAC-seq, and even combining those technologies together in a single cell level, which really uh, give us an unprecedented uh, details of the uh, cancer cell uh, genome. Uh, so what uh, we've seen at this ASH meeting, a really large number of studies interrogating the immune environment to help us define progression from MGUS to myeloma, uh, from smoldering myeloma to myeloma, uh, but also we've seen a large body of work uh, interrogating the immune cells uh, because uh, obviously the era of immunotherapy in myeloma has come to fruition and we've seen some unprecedented uh, deep responses with uh, CAR T cells, uh, with bispecific antibodies, and hence, it's important for us to understand uh, with this uh, technology, who are the patients who would benefit from this therapy. Um, for example, we've heard from the uh, uh, group from uh, Pamplona with Bruno Pavia and, and Jesus San Miguel, the work they've done to help understand the progression from smoldering myeloma to myeloma. And there they focused uh, on, on two aspects on the circulating plasma cell, uh, and that help, help them identify that the presence of circulating plasma cells can be a good predictor of progression to myeloma. But I've also they've done some work uh, presented briefly at this ASH in the previous ASH, where they showed the presence of uh, the quantitative T cells, for example, can help also predict who would, who would progress uh, to multiple myeloma. In our work, we focused specifically on the uh, study of the patient receiving bispecific therapy uh, with BCMA, CD3 uh, T cell engagers, and also on patients receiving uh, CAR T cell therapy targeting BCMA. And what we've done in this uh, study, a relatively small study with 21 patients, we've taken samples before therapy and after therapy, and we sorted the T cells from the peripheral blood and the vomero of these patients. And using a technology known as SiteSeq, uh, which uh, briefly allows you to interrogate not only the transcriptome of the myeloma cells, 
but also the surface zone or the epitope uh, or the antigen expressed in these myeloma cells synchronously. And why this is important? Because with single cell RNA, uh, everyone admits there is certain level of dropout, meaning there's certain gene you don't pick up very well by simply doing RNA sequencing. And hence having an epitope uh, definition of the cell identity help you better define uh, the cell subset. And that's extremely important when you study T cells, specifically because T cells are very small, minute differences can define the function, whether a T cell is a refractor memory cell or exhausted T cells or senescent T cells. Uh, and uh, to our surprise, this work was very rewarding. We were able to clearly define uh, the transcriptome and the uh, identity of the T cells that can uh, define who are the patients who benefit from uh, immune therapy intervention. And while the finding were not in general surprising, it's something we would in general expect, uh, but again, we were surprised by the uh, high definition and the separation between responders and responders. And really we can summarize those findings uh, by the two findings. The existence of exhausted T cells prior to initiation of therapy or prior to the harvest of the leukophoresis uh, for, for CAR T cell appears to be a very good predictor. And this is a, uh, characterized by the presence of uh, cells expressing senescence marker and exhaustion marker, in particular expression of CD57, expression of benzyme B, expression of TIGIT and PIN3 uh, seem to be highly predictive with exhausted uh, uh, phenotype. And this even is more accentuated at the time of progression. You see the cells dramatically expand. We've also seen in some patients, not in all, an expansion of uh, regular T cells, Tregs, which make you uh, uh, propose or hypothesize that uh, targeted Trex may be helpful in reversing some of the exhaustion phenotype. Um, and also, we, what we've done in one particular patient, and this is going to indirectly result our observation, while we found that the T cells were fit in this patient with sleep tract T cell therapy, then we turned back and looked at the myeloma cells, as we've done, and unfortunately, in that, in that patient, and using single cell copy number analysis, we found that this patient prior to therapy had a small clone where he lost a copy of chromosome 16, only one copy of chromosome 16. And the progression now this became the predominant clone and became uh, not only one allelic loss of 16P, but now he gained a focal loss surrounding the BCMA uh, locus, which is the target of the practice of therapy. So again, with this technology, we're able to have unprecedented definition of the uh, immune cell repertoire uh, and in the future, combining uh, the type of work we do with the work you do help us really have a, uh, almost a, a map of the interaction between myeloma cells and the immune environment to help us deliver precision medicine. Um, so maybe you can tell us, Max, a bit more about some of the um, work you've done with the, uh, looking at the spatial integrity in myeloma with the uh, biopsies you've done from different sites and what these results show you. Yeah, um, so, so we know that that myeloma causes osteolytic lesions, but uh, the problem is that sometimes you have, or oftentimes you have a patient with 90% plasma cells in, in the bone marrow um, and no signs of any bone destruction, but then you have an osteolytic lesion in the femur or somewhere in the in the vertebral column. And um, I always, or many people always wonder, wondered why, why that's the case. So are these plasma cells different? Uh, is it the microenvironment that, that supports somehow the, the, the bone destruction? Um, and there, there was some previous results from, from the Arkansas group where they performed bulk gene expression profiling um, from guided biopsies in a retrospective analysis. And for the first time they showed back in the day, um, like two or three years ago, that um, they can find different clones in these, uh, in these osteolytic lesions or extramedullary lesions. Um, so we set up a prospective clinical trial 
um, of imaging-guided biopsies from these osteoid lesions and also the bone marrow. And um, we performed whole exome sequencing to see whether we can find mutational changes and then um, use single-cell RNA-seq to, to identify whether we can see certain clones that are transcriptionally different from the plasma cells in the bone marrow. And um, surprisingly, um, since we enrolled primarily patients with new oscillate lesions, um, and they were pretty small, so our radiologists did a great job, sometimes sub one centimeter and they biopsied and, and got uh, one or two cc's out of it. Um, so all small lesions, and what we found is that um, whole exome sequencing didn't show uh, too many different uh, mutations. So we only had two patients where we clearly could see a difference in mutational profile and copy number changes uh, between both locations. But then when we performed um, single-cell RNA-seq, and um, first we were a little bit disappointed because the clones were, when you do your clustering and the post-processing, uh, post you expect some really nice clustering, osteoic lesion, bone marrow, very different from each other, but actually all cells cl clustered together. So um, it was a little bit like, mm, okay, not what we expected, but um, uh, there's another um, very powerful uh, tool for, for longitudinal or paired analysis, and it's um, called the, the integrated analysis of anchored data sets. So basically you search for anchors um, between both conditions. Um, so you look for genes that are up and down regulated. The easy one, easiest one, of course, is, for example, kappa light chain, because it's kappa restricted, then you find the same cell, the same plasma cell in your bone marrow. And when you do this pairing of anchored uh, uh, data sets, you really can perform a differential expression analysis for every single plasma cell comparing bone marrow versus osteolytic lesion. And then we were actually able to identify uh, more than 1,000 genes that are over and under um, uh, expressed in the osteolytic lesion. So we really can see now with uh, single-cell RNA-seq that there's another layer of complexity that's even more complicated than what we see on the mutational profile from these, uh, from these uh, spatial, uh, spatially divergent clones. Um, and it also tells us a little bit about the, the biology of myeloma bone disease. So uh, we found genes, for example, like DKK1 and HGF to be overexpressed uh, in plasma cells from the osteoid lesion. Um, and it's really interesting that um, on, the, on the cross level, as you know, on the chromosomal level, on the bike gene expression level, and also on the mutational level, they are pretty, pretty much the same. But when you look down at the single uh, cell transcriptome, you really can see differences. And then it's, of course, the hen and egg problem. We don't know if it's the plasma cell that somehow acquired this, or maybe it's the mi microenvironment that caused the plasma cell to, to change in the way to, 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 to get uh, these capacity, capacities to, to perform osteoid lesions. But, um, so we still have a lot of work to do. Um, and, and like you said, I think um, analyzing also the, 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 the surface gnome, the, the, the protein expression, is very, very important um, because, especially when we look at uh, therapy resistance, uh, sometimes we know, for example, in antibody treatment, your, your RNA levels can be through the roof, but downregulation of the receptor um, of the antigen just um, impedes your, 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 your efficacy. We know that from rituximab and CD20, and, and I think for the future, like you did in, in BCMA targeted therapies, CD38 targeted therapies, we really have to look into that. In the future. So I was I was wondering um, in your study just one last uh, maybe short question. 
Um, did you did you separate the plasma cells before you uh, performed the analysis, or did you um, separate them in silico? So you sequenced everything and then saw your plasma cells in, in, in your plots and then removed them, or did you sort them beforehand, before sequencing? Yeah, that, that's an important question. We, we do separate a baseline myeloma and so create positive cells from non-myeloma just to help enrich for the T cells, and then we sort the T cells. And we're focusing on some other population of specific interest in dendritic cells uh, because in previous study studying dendritic lab resistance, we found dendritic cells uh, lack of maturation is, is, a, is a striking finding in myeloma, and that's something we and others are looking into as well. Uh, so it's important to separate the, these populations to help enrich for the population of interest to dive in deeper into, into that. Uh, but interestingly, as you probably know, Max, when you even even when you do the sorting. You always have a small population when you end up with those doublet cells where you have a T cell attached to myeloma cells. So we do find even when you select purely for T cell, there are small clonal clusters where we find these doublets T cell myeloma cells. Where typically now with the analysis we do, we tend to throw away these cells because they lead to kind of doubling of the signal from your single droplet. There's a lot of biology in that because we tell you what T cells are, are really interacting directly physically with the myeloma cells. And now we have computational tool to help us dissect the biology of these doublets. So again, I, I continue to be amazed by how technology is allowing us to dissect uh, the myeloma and, and the immune environment and cancer in general. And, and uh, we have, we're going to learn an amazingly uh, large body of information in the next few years. But again, congratulations on your work. Uh, I think only through kind of work that you, you're doing and others are doing, we're going to make the field uh, advance and, and uh, hopefully cure the myeloma in the next few years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.